How are you out there? Praise God. Well, we're in the book of Ephesians still. Um, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to recap reading verses 7 through 11 of chapter 4, but we're going to zero in on verse 11, talking about the fivefold ministry gifts. How many were here so far for all of this? Amen. Were you here? If not, you know, we're going to jump in to talk about the prophetic tonight. But uh, the fivefold ministry gifts are important. It says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And those are the fivefold ministry gifts. And we're going to explore each one of them, and then we're going to continue in chapter 4 and figure out exactly why the Lord gave us gifts. You know, he didn't give us gifts just so we could, you know, feel good about ourselves or have something to keep us busy. Someone say amen. He gave us gifts to edify the body of Christ, to strengthen one another, and to reach our own spiritual potential. Amen. You know, there's nothing more sad than someone that doesn't reach their potential. There's nothing sadder than wasted potential. Yet there are so many who are so gifted that because of a lack of character, discipline, never reach their potential. So, Father, tonight I pray as we explore these gifts, and specifically the prophetic, you would give us wisdom and you would burn the truth deep in our hearts, Lord, that we would be able to discern uh, what is true and what is false when it comes to spiritual things, especially in the prophetic realm. We ask that in Jesus' name. And Wednesday night said... Okay, chapter 4, the book of Ephesians, starting in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives, and he gave gifts to people. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Now, talking about Jesus and after the resurrection, he liberated captivity. We talked about this. If you didn't get these messages, uh, get them online, listen to them, get them in you. But verse 11 picks up where he, he's giving out gifts here, and it says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. The last time we were together, we... Uh, talked about the office of the apostle, and, and uh, you know that was one of the fivefold ministry gifts. The main requirement uh, to be an apostle was that you had to have been with Jesus during his ministry and been an eyewitness to the resurrection. Listen to Acts 1, 21 through 26, defines the criteria for apostleship. Therefore, it is necessary that of men who accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they were the criteria for apostleship. So, you know, we said that uh, there are no modern day apostles like the 12 apostles. Amen. And so people who go around calling themselves apostles, I, I don't know where they get that from because I don't know how old they are, if they use oil of Olay or, you know, they're really exercising a lot. But 2,000 plus years to have walked with Jesus and to see him be resurrected, that's kind of a tall order. I don't know. Maybe I'm a skeptic. But there are no modern day apostles like the 12 apostles in the contemporary church. Instead, we have those who function with an apostolic gift 
What did apostles do? They were leaders of leaders. They pastored pastors. They safeguarded sound theology. That's what the apostles did in the early church. When theology got a little goofy, they brought it back into order. When people taught heresy, they confronted it and brought it back into order. So they, they disciplined the church. They planted churches. They led evangelistic and missionary thrusts, all from a position of top-level leadership. Apostles are like generals in the body of Christ. Those who function in an apostolic gift are going to be like generals in the body of Christ. Today, they could be called lead pastors, bishops, elders, overseers, etc. But to equate yourself with one of the apostles as if you were one of the 12 is not biblical. And uh, people give themselves all kinds of titles. And it's not biblical. And so, you know... You can call yourself whatever you want, but unless God called you and anointed you and set you apart for such an office, uh, and you're 2,000 plus years old, and you were an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think we should probably reconsider what you call yourself. So that apostolic gift, though, we see functioning in the church, and notice it in people, and there's leaders in the church that, you know, use these gifts, and they're a blessing to the body of Christ, but they shouldn't equate themselves with the 12 apostles. So the apostolic gift is for the body of Christ. Yes, should I call myself an apostle? I am the apostle Rick. I can't even say it with a straight face. No, you shouldn't do that. I'm just Pastor Rick. So we, we, we kind of get this here. Let's make a transition to the second of the fivefold gifts here mentioned in 4.11, and that is the gift of the prophet, the office of the prophet. Again, I would say at this point in the church, during the church age, there are no prophets like the Old Testament prophets of Israel. You know, there's not a modern-day Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Does everybody get that? Like, who would be, I mean, who would be the modern-day Isaiah? Who would be, I mean, there are people with prophetic gifts, and we're going to talk about that, but prophecy seems to function a little different in the church age than it did in the Old Testament. Please say amen, because we're not in the Old Testament anymore, and we're not in the Old Covenant, and the way God ministered to his people then and, and how he spoke to them then is a little different now. That's not to say that there's not an active prophetic ministry in the church. People who say there's no prophecy in the church, that's completely wrong. I'm going to get into this tonight, and I'm going to show you all the ways that it is in the church and how it functions. But, you know, there's no modern-day Isaiah or Jeremiah, but there are prophets who speak to the church. Today's prophets aren't really nationally recognized figures speaking to governments and church leadership structures as a whole, but they still do speak to the, wor- to the world and to the Lord and to individuals in the church nonetheless. So there's still the prophetic voice in the church, and God still speaks to his prophets to instruct the church. Someone say amen. Now, some churches don't have any move with the prophetic because they don't believe in it. And you know what? If you don't believe in something, it's hard to have it move in your midst. People who didn't believe in Jesus, he didn't do many miracles there. People who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, well, they don't allow that to happen, so they don't see any of that. But the prophetic ministry is a valid ministry, and it's part of the church. Old Testament prophets were a little different, very unique. New Testament prophecy seems to function differently. Uh, You know, and there again, I go back to who would be the modern-day Isaiah. Everyone in Israel knew who Isaiah was. Everybody knew who Jeremiah was. But, you know, today we have prophets scattered out through the body of Christ, but they don't 
they don't lead and rule over the body or, and speak uh, with, with the same voice as the Old Testament. So that's all. I want you to get the distinction there, that there's a little difference. So uh, we're going to start off by defining what is a prophet. Isn't that a good place to start? So Webster's Holy Anointed Dictionary says, one who utters divinely inspired revelations. That's a pretty good definition. Uh, but the biblical idea comes from the Hebrew word nabai, N-A-B-I, nabai. The word prophet in Hebrew is nabai, and it means this, to bubble forth as from a fountain, to utter. So a prophet is someone who's bubbling forth. What are they bubbling forth with? The word of God that he put in their belly and is coming out of their mouth. What are they uttering? They're uttering the, the oracles of God. They're speaking for God. Nabi, that's what a prophet is. So essentially, the prophet is a spokesperson, and I say person, not spokesmen, because there are female prophets in Scripture. Men and women can function in the prophetic. And that's important to understand. Men and women have different roles. The Bible shows them doing different things. And we've got to stick with what Scripture says. Women can prophesy. Men can prophesy. The prophet Deborah in the Old Testament, she was a prophet, prophetess and a judge. So we see that, you know, they are the spokesperson or the mouthpiece for God. A prophet doesn't just bubble forth out of his own thoughts and ideas and desires. Instead, a prophet utters, bubbles forth, uh, flows from God, God's thoughts and ideas and desires. Do you get this? Understand the prophetic is not man's interpretation of godly things. It's God speaking through man to his people. So the gift of prophecy is expressed several ways in the New Testament church. Maybe we can't identify who the modern day Jeremiah or Isaiah is, but we have prophets within the church that speak to the church. Now, the first way that uh, prophecy is expressed in the, in the body of Christ is what? The Bible itself is prophetic. Do you know this book is prophetic? It's not one-dimensional. Prophecy is multidimensional. When a prophet gave a prophecy, it meant something in the past, in the future, and in the present. Do you understand that? There are things that Ezekiel said. There are things that Jeremiah said, things that Isaiah said that applied right to them there and now, but also they have meaning in the predictive area, a predictive prophecy of what's going to come to pass in the future. You understand that? So understand prophecy is multidimensional. It's not, you know, it's not just one thing. Well, Isaiah said that to the Hebrews then, and that's it. It has no more bearing on us. No, 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 no. Much of the Old Testament prophecy is coming to pass right now. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel talking about the end times. Come on, how many people study eschatology? How many people listen to Pastor Rick when he preaches through the book of Revelation? Anybody? This stuff is coming to pass now. And so it had a meaning for that time, and it has a, a, a predictive uh, meaning and a fulfillment for this time. And so prophecy is multidimensional. The Bible is a prophetic book. In fact, there are specific books in the Bible that are called the prophetic books. When I was in Bible school, we took a whole class, a whole semester, studying the prophetic books. Now, there are 16 prophets in the Old Testament, and they can be broken down into four groups. The first group is the prophets of the northern kingdom, and that's Israel. Uh, Israel was the northern kingdom. You're going to have Israel and Judah. So the prophets of the northern kingdom were these, Hosea, Amos, Joel, and Jonah. Then they have the prophets of Judah, which is the other half of Israel. That 
was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. So notice that Isaiah and Jeremiah, major, major prophets, major books, they were the prophets of Judah. Then you had the prophets of captivity, Ezekiel and Daniel. When Israel went into captivity, God raised up two prophets to continue to speak to his people. It's interesting that those two prophets uh, uh, are prophets that are very relevant now for us in our times as they were last day prophets. And they spoke of things that were going to come to pass in the future. And you guys just look so shocked and intense right now. Everybody seems to be on the edge of their seats. Relax, it's going to be okay. But Ezekiel and Daniel, you know, these guys were prophets in captivity. They have a lot that is relevant to say now. And then lastly, the fourth category were the prophets of the restoration. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, or Malachi, the Italian prophet we like to call. Malachi. So the Bible itself is a prophetic book. It contains prophetic books. It has predictive prophecy in it that has come to pass, is coming to pass, and will come to pass. Someone say amen. The second way the prophetic is expressed in the body of Christ today in the New Testament church is in the preaching of God's word. Do you, do you remember the definition of prophecy? It's to bubble forth, to utter. What, I don't know if I'm bubbling, but I'm sure uttering right now. Come on, Wednesday night. When a preacher is preaching the word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, what he says are not his thoughts or his ideas or his illustrations, but they are prophetic. And real Holy Ghost-driven preaching is prophetic. Many times as a preacher, I've been preaching for a long time since I'm 14 years old. And listen, there are things that come out of my mouth that as I'm saying, I'm like, well, I didn't even know that. Where did that come from? What is that? That's God speaking through a vessel, amen, uh, saying things, understanding things, uh, communicating things, punching above my weight, as it were. Do you understand? So it's not just a man sharing thoughts. When a, a pastor preaches the word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that is prophetic. I don't know how many times that, you know, people have come up to me and they, how did you know I was going through that? Or pray a prayer and, you know, or say something from the pulpit. Man, you were speaking right to me. How many times have you even felt that way? You know, you're sitting out there and it's just like, man, was he like in my kitchen this week? And the answer to that is no, I was not. But that's the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, how does that happen? Because the, the word of God being preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is prophetic. It's not just a man talking. If it's just a man talking, we should all go home. But when the word is preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it has a prophetic component to it. Number three, the third way we see prophecy expressed in the New Testament churches, the predictive prophecy of Scripture coming to pass during our time. And, you know, I don't have time to get into all of the things that, you know, we could point to that are coming to pass, but let's just say from an eschatological viewpoint, there's a lot going on right now. And if you don't know it, I don't know what you're paying attention to because, I mean, Jesus is coming is closer than it ever was before. And the way the world is falling into shape for, you know, the last days and the Antichrist, and we're talking about chipping people and, uh, uh, you know, currency that's all digital and a one-world government and one-world bank, you know, where did that all come from? That's Book of Revelation stuff, amen? 
So prophecy is coming to pass as we live here. You know, a lot of people have their head in their sand. They don't get it. They're embracing things that are going to be detrimental to society because it's new and it's fresh and it's going to help. But understand, there are things in Scripture that the Bible told us will come to pass that are coming to pass. And that's how we see the prophetic in the New Testament. I talked about Ezekiel and Daniel and the book of Revelation. Uh, The book of Revelation contains massive amounts of insight into what's going to occur in the last days before God catches up his church and the tribulation period begins. If you've ever been here when I preached through the book of Revelation, I think the the two times I did, it took almost seven months of Sundays. And I'm sure you can probably get some of those messages online, but I'm telling you what, it's a, it's a good study. Don't be scared of the book of Revelation. It's a, re, a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's exciting to those of us who are in Christ and part of the family of God, amen? He's coming back for a church. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for us. So prophets and preachers and teachers who reveal and explain and teach the predictive prophecies that are coming to pass in a very real way are acting in the prophetic. Thank God for a lot of the teachers we have in the body of Christ that are really gifted at teaching eschatology. They are a blessing. And I encourage you to, you know, to listen to these things and to be aware of what's going on because it is the prophetic in our time coming to pass. Uh, let's see. I'm on number four or D. Yeah, one of those. Those with prophetic gifts in operation within the body of Christ are the prophetic in the church. There are individuals who have prophetic gifts. They hear from God, and they speak to the body of Christ, and they give words to the congregation. Maybe they give words to people on an individual basis. And how many have ever gotten a word of prophecy from someone that just hit the mark in your life and was a total blessing to you? Raise your hand. Amen. What a blessing that is. I remember as a, as a young man in Bible school graduating, each one of the seniors would sit in a chapel service where they had the prophets uh, in the school at Elam. These, were, these, these people were incredible, and they would prophesy over the graduating seniors. And the things that were said to me then have steered my course and anchored me and have kept me in the will of God. I'm telling you, right on the money, powerful, and just something that I will always treasure what was spoken to me. And you know what? I've seen these things that were spoken over me come to pass in my life. So the the activity of the prophet and the prophetic in the body of Christ is a blessing. Those with prophetic gifts are routinely used by God to give warnings, encouragement, or instruction to the church. They are used to give words of encouragement to believers. They're used to call out false teachers and false doctrine, to call out sin and compromise within the church. Beware of someone who says they're a prophet, but all they say is good stuff. You know, sometimes I've seen people go up to get ministered to and, you know, some of these places and, you know, all that was said was good stuff. And I know them. And I was like, they needed their they needed a Holy Ghost butt kicking is what they really need. Come on. But some some prophets only will say good stuff. That's a false prophet. Amen. A real prophet will tell you what you got to hear. And the prophetic ministry doesn't have a very nice bedside manner. You know, pastors are gentle and tender and patient. Prophets just cut like with a sword. Boom. They'll just say it. If you've ever been around certain, you know, people who have a prophetic anointing on them, 
uh, they can be a little bit rough with the bedside manner. Why? Because they can't afford to mince their words or sugarcoat what is said because God is speaking through them. So there again, if you've experienced things like this, uh, you understand what I'm saying. If not, just uh, tuck this in your heart and ask the Lord to reveal these things to you. We have, you know, people who are in the prophetic used to call out false doctrine, false teachers, sin and compromise within the church, and to speak to the culture. The, vo the voice of the church needs to be spoken over our culture, amen? We need people who will stand up and say the word of the Lord uh, to speak to our culture and to even speak to our governments. I think of a man who is a, a Jewish man who's uh, a Christian, Jonathan Kahn. How many of you uh, have heard of Jonathan Kahn? Jonathan Kahn has given some incre incredible prophecies to our government, speaking directly to presidents. I encourage you to get online and listen to what he's had to say. I'm telling you what, it's right on the money, and it cuts to the bone, and you know, it, it gives our leadership in our government a choice to hear the word of the Lord and do what is right in God's eyes or to do their own thing and to bring judgment on a nation. I don't know about you, but right now, I think our nation needs to repent and get back in line with God because there's judgment on our nation. When you go to the gas pump, judgment. When you go to the grocery store and the shelves are empty, judgment. When you see the prices of everything, when you get your electricity bill, what's this all about? Not just about Russia it's about how we dealt with Israel, how we, how we are unjust, how we abort children, how we have blurred the lines of male and female, and how we've gone completely crazy. And we need a prophetic voice from the church to speak up and tell our leaders, enough. Now, I know we might be the minority in that, but still, the voice of the church, and the voice of the Holy Spirit is a powerful voice. So check out Jonathan Kahn. He's one of the modern-day prophets that I think is, you know, uh, worth looking at. Just a side note here, I want to say this. Prophets throughout history, no matter how accurate they were, holy they were, or powerful they were, were usually not esteemed by the masses. They were very much often persecuted, maligned, and murdered. You know, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who, you who murdered the prophets. Why? Because people didn't like what the prophets had to say. Why? Because sinful man hates it when God corrects them, when God chastises them, when God points out their sin. Amen? You study the Old Testament, it, you know, to be a prophet was a lonely, hard job. Sometimes you were all alone, and, you know, you think of some of these prophets that were running for their lives from leaders and uh, prophets that were you know, put to death by the sword. To be a prophet, you say, oh, I wish I could be a prophet. Careful what you wish for. Careful what you wish for. They're not esteemed by the masses. Prophets can't afford to be people pleasers. They can't love money or the praise of men. The prophetic requires courage and boldness and the thickest of skins. So while it is a wonderful gift and one that Paul says we should desire earnestly for and ask for, we should realize what we're asking for when we do. Uh, let's move on to another topic here. Who are some examples of prophets in the New Testament? We all know the Old Testament prophets, but in the New Testament, there were prophets. And I want to point that out. Why? Because it speaks to the fact that 
in the early church, there were people who functioned in the prophetic, and still today, there are people that function in the prophetic. That's a valid thing. Here's the first prophet of the New Testament I want to talk about, Agabus. If you're taking notes tonight, Agabus is A-G-A-B-U-S. Look him up in Scripture. I'm going to read to you two accounts of where Agabus ministered in the New Testament here. Acts 11, 27 through 30. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? Some what? Some prophets. So there was more than one. There was prophets. They were active. It was the New Testament church. Verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and indicated by the spirit that there would definitely be a severe famine all over the world. Remember what prophets do? They warn us of things to come. And it took place during the reign of Claudius. And to the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did this, sending it with Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So here's a prophet functioning in the New Testament. God speaks to him. He sees a famine coming that's going to affect churches in another area. So they take up an offering and they send it with the apostles to help them out. Pretty powerful, isn't it? How many like to get the heads up from God? How many like to be blindsided by life? No, that's the point of the prophetic. Here's another episode of Agabus here. Acts 21, 10 through 12. As we were staying, th staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and he came and took Paul's belt. This is the Apostle Paul. And he bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. When they heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. So here's Paul, he's ministering, he, he's in a place with the brethren, and a prophet speaks to him, takes his belt and says, ties his hands and feet and says, you know, when you go to Jerusalem, this is what they're going to do to you. And you know what happened when Paul went to Jerusalem? This is what they did to him. You say, what's the point? God was warning him so he could prepare his heart and prepare his courage and get ready for what was about to happen. And that's exactly the point of the prophetic. God will warn us, God will prepare us, God will speak to his people and speak to his church. Also, Judas Barsabbas and Silas. Silas was the traveling companion of Paul. Uh, church history and scripture show that uh, these two men also had powerful prophetic gifts. And then there are the four prophesying daughters of Philip the Evangelist. Here it is, ladies, four daughters. Could you imagine having four kids and all of them are prophetesses? I don't know. I think that could be an interesting household. Acts 21, 8 through 9. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. So there again, I want to point out that these are New Testament people. Uh, they're male and female, and they operate in the prophetic and it's part of the New Testament, so it should be part of the modern church. The last prophet of the New Testament I want to talk about is the Apostle John. Apostle John was not only, you know, one of Jesus' disciples and apostle, but he was also John the Revelator. God 
on the island of Patmos poured out the book of Revelation to John in a vision, and he penned it all down for us, and that is what we have today for our eschatology to understand the end times. John uh, operated in a prophetic gift, perhaps one of the most powerful ones of the New Testament period there. Why? Because it's given us this critical book in Scripture that will keep us on track in the last days. So there we have Agabus, Judas, Barsabbas, Silas, and four prophesying daughters, and the Apostle John. So modern-day prophets, prophets during the church age, they exist. Uh, Number four, what are the dangers of the prophetic ministry? And there are some very real dangers to the prophetic ministry. And the danger is this, that it can be hijacked by false prophets, false preachers, uh, false teachers, and charlatans. The prophetic ministry can be hijacked. It has two main exposures. Number one, the title of prophet is hard to regulate. And here's what I mean by that. There's no council of the prophets. There's no prophecy accrediting agency. There's no prophecy authentication where they have a badge and and an ID card. Do you understand this? So anybody, any knucklehead can just call himself a prophet. And if they're in a church where they're allowed to prophesy and their, their gift is not discerned whether it's from God or whether it's not, they can do a lot of damage before they're uncovered as a fraud. Um, I don't know what all of your church backgrounds are, but in the Pentecostal movement, in the charismatic movement, even in the evangelical movement, there have been false prophets and false teachers. You say, really? The Bible warns us all the time, all throughout the epistles of Paul, about false teachers in the last days that they would arise. No one can do more damage to the body of Christ than a false prophet who's prophesying things that are not the will of God. So it's an exposure. There needs to be some regulation. There needs to be some discernment. There needs to be some oversight from leadership of who's going to be allowed to call themselves a prophet and prophesy, that they should be vetted so that their gift is authenticated. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So the title of prophet is hard to regulate. Uh, Number two, the operations of the prophetic can be counterfeited. Do you know you can prophesy by the Holy Spirit or you can prophesy by a different spirit? You can prophesy by the spirit of Baal, the spirit of Ahab, the spirit of Jezebel. I know some of this is deep stuff. Maybe some of you, this is a little over your head. Hang in there, you know, get what you can get tonight. But understand, there are people who prophesy by different spirits. The only prophecy that's valid is when the Holy Spirit moves on a person and they're speaking what God put in their heart. But many times, people prophesy what they want to hear, what they want to say, what they feel in their flesh, or what they think people want to hear. Come on, you charismaniacs. You know what I'm talking about. The the prophetic operations can be counterfeited. And I want to say something here. Again, I I taught about demons and exorcism and all these topics we've covered. You know, on on wonderful sunny Sundays, we talk about exorcism and demonology. You say, Pastor Rick, why are you doing that? Because it's in the Scripture and we need to know it, amen? We can't be ignorant of the devil's devices. So I want to say something. The demonic realm is real, and he has all kinds of uh, workers of magic and the dark arts, psychics, mystics, mediums, Satanists, witchcraft practitioners, all of them tap into the dark arts, into a different spirit, and they manifest gifts that, that, 
seem to counterfeit or mock the genuine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, so I know I lost some of you. Some of you are like, I'm getting out of here right now. I don't want to hear about witches and, you know, and Satanists and stuff. Well, I, I, I'm sorry to upset you Wednesday night, but all of this stuff is real. And the world wants to say it's not, and the world wants to, but listen, it's real, and it's something that the body of Christ has to contend with, and it's something that likes to infiltrate the body of Christ and use false prophets to speak things that are not of God. And they're usually really slick, and they're really charismatic, and they, you know, have a way with people. The devil knows what he's doing. In fact, as we look at this, when I'm talking about the fact that prophetic operations can be counterfeited, you say, well, how are they counterfeited? Because they tap into a different spirit to prophesy uh, through divination or Baal or any other demonic stream of supernatural insight. The devil doesn't know everything, but he knows some things. Have you ever seen those people, oh, you know, we're going to have a seance and we're going to contact the dead and your dead relative is going to, you know, say, and then they say that, you know, all these things and some of it's true and some of it's accurate and the people are going, wow, what's that about? It's just a counterfeit. It's just demonic. It's not of God. So the demonic realm is real. The counterfeiting of the spiritual gift of the prophetic is real, and we need to be careful about it. Do you remember the uh, magicians in Egypt when Moses stood before Pharaoh? You remember them? What did they do? They counterfeited some of the miracles that Moses was doing. In fact, for a while, they were keeping up with him. You remember this? Uh, Moses throws his rod down and becomes a serpent. Yeah, like, we can do that too. Bah, and you know, some of that, the dark arts, there were some, but at some point, they couldn't keep up anymore. And then Moses showed them up, and then Pharaoh was mad at them because he saw how worthless they were. But understand, they kept up with him for a while. What is that? Because, you know, the dark arts are real. Now, fast forward to the end of days in the book of Revelation. The Bible says that the beast and the false prophet will do visible signs and wonders, not parlor tricks, not magic tricks, but actual signs and wonders. Listen to Revelation 19.20. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who had performed the signs in his presence by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. So look at that. The beast and the false prophet. The false prophet is going to do signs and wonders. The, the beast is going to be killed and resurrected. He's going to mock the resurrection of Jesus Christ by taking a wound to his head and then co coming back to life, and the whole world's going to see it. Come on, you know the book of Revelation, right? It's in there. I'm not making this up. But understand, the enemy loves to counterfeit the genuine things of God. He wants to be God. He, he wants to be God. So th that unholy trinity of the last days, they're going to do signs and wonders and miracles. They're not going to be from the Holy Spirit. They're going to be from the kingdom of darkness, and they're going to deceive many. So I'll end with us talking about the prophetic by saying this. Not everyone who says, thus saith the Lord, speaks for God or speaks by the Holy Spirit. Remember that. Test the spirits, the Bible tells us. Measure what is said against Scripture. Consider the character and the integrity of the person's life. The truest and best test of prophecy is that what is prophesied actually comes to pass. It's not, well, I'm batting 500. 
God doesn't bat 500. Old Testament prophets were 100%. And New Testament prophets, if they're genuine, again, should be 100%. Do we always get it right? No. That's why there was a school of the prophets. But that's a whole nother sermon. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you tonight for this study. I thank you for this time where we're learning the fivefold ministry gifts. We've talked about the, the office of the apostle and, and how to function in an apostolic gifting. We've talked about the prophetic. And Father, I pray that you would burn all of this into our hearts, that we would have wisdom and discernment, that we would be able to discern the faults from the genuine, amen, and that we would uh, be those who understood the times as well as were able to discern the spirits. I pray that you would rise up a prophetic voice in the church for this day. I thank you for the true prophets in the world right now that are ministering to the body of Christ. And I pray that you silence the, the mouths of every false prophet and let them be exposed and their treachery be exposed. But God, you always speak to your church through the prophets. And so raise up prophets in this generation that can be a mighty voice of righteousness in such a dark time. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give him praise tonight.